Welcome to the Citizens NYC Live podcast. Our host is Citizens NYC CEO, Dr. Rasan Harris. He leads our focus this season into leadership at the top in New York City. Dr. Harris is inspired by our founder, Osborne Elliott's quest to capture the backstories, thinking, and ambition of America's chief business and industry leaders, published in his 1959 book, Men at the Top. Our guest today is an exceptional source for an insider view of top leadership. Council member Joseph C. Borelli, the minority leader of the New York City Council. Borelli represents the 51st Council District, which covers Staten Island's South Shore. He is also the longest serving council member elected in 2015. In this episode, council member Borelli opens our minds in understanding the roles and reach of 21st century government leaders. He explains how politicians are in fact philanthropists who steward taxpayer money to fund the local community centers and organizations that improve our NYC neighborhoods. Here's Dr. Harris diving into the ins and outs of city leadership with council member Joe Borelli. Joe, let the people know who you are professionally, then personally, and lastly, we'll get into your philanthropy. So who are you professionally, Joe? Talk to me. I am the minority leader of the city council. I lead the largest contingent of Republicans in uh, 30 years or so. We have five, and we won with two additional seats, meaning two people won with Republican uh, votes on the Republican line, although they're registered Democrats. Very interesting. Uh, and tell me how you feel about that professional accomplishment. It's fun. Um, it's because of the makeup of the council right now. It, gives me a, a bit of leverage. And uh, because of my seniority, I'm also the dean of the city council. I'm an old timer. You know, um, they, they have me, you know, go out there with Buck Walter and Joe Torrey on old timers day. and like throw, throw a fit. <laughs> I don't believe it. You don't look a day over 35. I just turned 40. I just turned 40, but I am the longest serving council member. So I think with the institutional knowledge and now the leverage that Republicans and moderates have in the council, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Amazing. Well, talk to me personally, you know, how did you become you, uh, you know, a politician, someone that's giving for your community, someone that's like leading the minority in, um, in this space politically? Well, I convinced 50% of the people plus one to vote for me. I mean, that's really the only qualification. People always ask you, what, what do you need to become an elected official? And that's really the truth. You just got to convince people to vote for you. Um, I was someone who grew up not in a political family, but in um, a political environment. I started interning when I was in high school uh, for a city council member at that point. And then uh, even during college was politically involved and um, worked as a staffer and then eventually ran for office. And it's been, it's been, you know, I mean, a dream come true would be like living, you know, winning the lottery, you know, and, and living on a yacht in the Caribbean. But this is close to it, right? I mean, this is, this is sort of a professional dream come true. Amazing. I'm actually a big soccer person. So uh, I grew up playing soccer. Did you play soccer at all? No, I, I became a fan of West Ham United pretty late in life uh, and, and a little bit of PSG. And um, in my travels, I've gotten to see a bunch of games in Europe and South America. It's been fun. That's amazing. Um, my life uh, accomplishment besides like being a husband and a father was actually being able to go to the South African World Cup in 2010. Uh, getting That's to see cool. that, that was just amazing. Uh, so 
you give of your time um, and made it a, your profession, um, like that leadership piece. Um, could you talk to me a little bit about who you are as a, a philanthropist and what do you consider your philanthropy? I'm the best kind of philanthropist because I get to use the taxpayer money to support uh, so many uh, charitable institutions on Staten Island. Uh, the majority of what council members actually do when, in terms of decision making, right? We, we vote. But the things we vote on are usually passed unanimously. The, the hard work is done behind the scenes. So the choices we make on the floor of the council are, are actually not as significant as people imagine. The significant choices that we have are what nonprofits in our community uh, we decide to fund, uh, which would have the greatest impact on the greatest number of people uh, that we represent. And that, that's sort of the rubric that I, that I use. Um, you know, just talking about someone now with the Italian Cultural Center on Staten Island, uh, right, right before I got on the phone with you, uh, we do especially tremendous amount of work with the autism community on Staten Island. A lot of our autism programs uh, are underfunded and those have been a, a pleasure to always be uh, on the front line with. Um, there's environmental groups. There are um, little, you know, everything from little leagues to, to science research we do. No, that's that's absolutely amazing. And the, the breadth of groups that you talked about are all types of initiatives and issues that Citizens Committee could support because we bring people together that are about improving the quality of life of their neighborhood. And if they come to us with an idea and they're working together, then they have an opportunity to get a micro grant from us to do that. And I think even more importantly than the money is the community that they get to join. And then also the platform for their issues that they get by, you know, being visible and noticed. Now talking about leaders and stepping up, Men at the Top was Oz, Osborne Elliott's book that he wrote and it was published in 1959. And some of the titles inspire these quick hit questions that I have for you. Um, first, one chapter is the change, chess versus checkers. Can you talk about a time you went from playing checkers to the more advanced chess in your professional life and, and understanding the matrix? I, I think at some point during the last term of the council, uh, I wasn't the leader, I was just a council member. Um, but at some point I accumulated en enough chips and political capital to begin exercising leverage in different areas of New York City. I mean, one of the biggest things I have going for me is my media presence, which is probably larger. And I'm, this, is not, this is not an attempt to brag or anything, but I'm sure my media presence is larger than anyone on the council, including the speaker or whoever. Um, the ability to shape news uh, and shape a news cycle on issues that I can choose is a real, real big chip to play uh, quite frequently. Um, th that gave me leverage last year. Now this year I have leverage because we have members um, and we have, you know, the real fault lines in the council are not Republican versus Democrat, they're moderate versus progressive. So uh, you count my block of say seven people in a, in a moderate block. And that's probably the, the single most cohesive organization within the council. Um, you know, every other caucus, and we call ourselves the common sense caucus, but every other caucus is fractured. Uh, if you want to hear people argue in circles, just go to the progressive caucus and watch them yell at each other for, for you know, pronouns or something, I suppose. But um, we are usually in lockstep um, with our thinking, and we can use that to our advantage. Going from checkers to chess. So talk to me, how did you learn how to utilize media? 
Um, so I supported this guy named Trump that you've all heard of. And in 20, and some people really don't like him. Some people do, which makes great TV fodder. So when the, the campaign didn't really have any campaign to speak of in 2016, uh, when news outlets were trying to um, have people come on and sort of uh, talk about what, what Trump wants to do or, or defend his uh, gaffe of the day or whatever it was, uh, they found me. And the only way a city council member becomes a nightly primetime um, lineup member of CNN or something like that is when nobody else w- is willing to go on, say, CNN and talk about Donald Trump. So that was a, a baptism by fire. And, um, you know, just hundreds of hits uh, on CNN, uh, all, you know, hostile. If people think that CNN's non uh, unbiased. I mean, they, they should they should really uh, reevaluate their assessment of media. But just uh, baptism by fire. It was a lot of fun and uh, it really, really honed my skills. More importantly than honing my skills uh, on video were opening a giant Rolodex, uh, a network of national reporters and anchors um, and TV producers and news news creators uh, all over the country, which now I consider friends and can call them up and and maybe leak something or maybe give some uh, you know input. A lot of times they call me to get the scoop on what's really happening in New York City on, on any given issue. And it's been a great ship to play. So interesting. And, and you talked about friends and what you do personally versus professionally. It seems that when I've seen you move in, in certain rooms that you are willing to talk to anybody. Uh, and how do you keep those cordial relationships and still be on different sides of issues with folks? Well, I start by talking to the bartender. That's first and foremost. <laughs> that usually loosens things up. But no, I mean, you know, like I said, and just the fact that I said I supported Trump in 2016, there's a, a, a chunk of the audience listening right now that has already decided they hate me, um, which is which is fair and far. Um, but yes, it, it requires us to work as hard as we can on the back end um, through the, the building of personal relationships and the development of uh, genuine friendships that allows me to, to, to kind of combat that initial reaction. Um, I, I enjoy the company of, of just about all of my colleagues and people don't, people don't realize that, um, you know, everyone plays a character in, in our drama. Like everyone in the council plays, uh, we, we all play our role and we all say what we have to say. The, the true professionals um, can actually break bread afterwards. Uh, and, you know, even, you know, maybe even have some de- self-deprecating humor from time to time. Now, I learned that in Albany. I was in the state legislature for three years. And um, in the state legislature, you know, you're, you're stuck in Albany, which is not exactly a wild town unless you're in the state legislature. Then you get to go out to a bar every night uh, and have burgers and beers uh, with your pals. And you, you are, you know, you're forced to, to, mix and mingle and, and basically live with essentially people from opposition parties, people from different races, ethnicities, people from different uh, cultural norms, cultural uh, groups. Then there's a whole cadre of, of lobbyists and hangers on each representing their own, you know, unique issues and problems and stuff. So it's kind of a, a, a melting pot of ideas and people and institutions. And you become, you become friends. I mean, you, you, you actually become genuine friends. So that's, that's a, you know, I, I give my advice. I give the same advice to every member of my conference. Um, number one, two two pieces of advice: give every reporter your phone number, your your cell phone number, and have unfettered access. And when they call you, just you know, you could say what you want to say or politely decline, but but don't have a press facade. 
don't have a false, you know, wall, a firewall of people getting in touch with you. Otherwise, you'll never get in the newspaper. And the number two is when someone offers to have a beer with you, always stay for a second one. You know, when people when people are trying to get to know you, whether it's a cup of coffee or whatever, uh, take those opportunities to actually um, sit down and, and break bread. No, that's great advice. Um, networking and, and and creating relationships to hopefully move the work. And, and in this case, even sometimes bridge divides. Yeah. So another chapter up from something what are you up from like what's your background and, and what are you proud of that gave you the support to be who you are today what am i actually the, the thing i'm most proud of professionally is a renovation of a new building at a school called ps 37 it's a school that's a district 75 school for handicapped children uh, and uh, many of these kids were, were housed in trailers essentially and these trailers were supposed to be temporary they went from a 10-year shelf life to you know getting uh, sort of jerry-rigged as, as often as they can to, to go on for say 20 or 30 years uh, we finally were able to get the kids out of that and we built them a new state-of-the-art uh, uh, multifaceted uh, multimedia even uh, uh, classroom uh, uh, school building with uh, 16 classrooms, I don't think anything else will actually give me the personal satisfaction that that, that particular issue uh, has given me. Uh, no bill I've passed, no, you know, no grant I've given anywhere else uh, has actually provided me with that level of satisfaction. Can you talk to me about pride of the professional and, and what are you proud of uh, as, as yourself as a professional? I think that I've been myself, you know, so I, I pride myself on saying exactly what's on my mind at all times. And there are so many people in politics that will try to um, hedge their the verbs that come out of their mouth or, you know, always speak in this like political parlance. And it just always sounds so stupid. Like you could you could always tell a politician on like, say, Twitter or Facebook or something when their staff is. Uh, writing their their posts like it's always you know I am pleased to announce that and no one I mean nobody speaks like that right I'm pleased to announce that I have secured another ten thousand dollars for this organization like nobody speaks like that so I, I have always sought to not create this again this false barrier between me and the press and just talk to people and and just say hey look we got a ten thousand dollars for the little league look, you know look at little jimmy hitting the ball over there you know just, i'd rather speak in the same line it's, it's kind of i mean look, look at me you, you, the audience can't see but i'm in like a sweatshirt and a hoodie I'm, I'm doing the john fetterman right now essentially you know trying to be every man but this is who i am like this is this is how i come to work when i know uh, i don't have any actual formal meeting particularly that did today i was on on tv news uh early this morning and i had to look really buttoned up but not anymore that's fantastic um interesting talking about who we are and and the differences and how we sometimes even code switch uh, my next question is from the chapter home was never like this so what is your life like today that you think folks that were from the 50s and the 60s could never fathom like what you know what what is life today um that would make someone say home was never like this there's no there's no differentiation between work and home um, work is on my cell phone and laptop. Um, work is not in my office. You know, at, at this point, we have meetings uh, sometimes as a formality with organizations. Um, most of the conversations I have of substance are actually over my phone. Most of the work I do of substance is um, either through emails on my laptop or through my writing and, you know, doing writing op-eds and stuff like that. Um, 
that never existed before, you know, the mid 2000s, probably even later. I mean, you know, the pandemic certainly accelerated that. Uh, that's clearly the biggest difference between uh, life now and, and life uh, from uh, a generation and a half ago or so. Um, is that great? No, it's not great because, you know, you're always on call. Um, it's it's uh, it's always been the life of an elected official to go to the rubber chicken dinners, you know, on a Thursday night and give the same speech you've given a hundred times. Um, you know, you just fill in the ethnic or religious group. Great to be at St. Albans Parish tonight. There's a great crowd tonight. Yep. Two minutes later, blessings to all my Muslims friend on this Ramadan. Like it's the same, you know, it's just you, you give the same speech uh, every single night. Um, that's always been a p- political thing. But the uh, the difference now is that you're still required to do the real substantive stuff with your cell phone and laptop uh, all night as well. Yeah, it's extremely helpful. Uh, I think we touched a little bit on this. Politics, together we stand. It's almost like a question. Um, together we stand. Uh, how do you think the current politics affect us um, as members of a community and our ability to come together? And what would you suggest we do to bridge divides that uh, that are currently existent? Well, I'll, I'll posit this. I mean, you know, do we always have to bridge divides? We don't. Um, I, I think having a vibrant political discourse um, is more important than what I see sometimes. And what I'm more afraid of is sort of this cancel culture of ideas. Um, I, I think uh, I should or other people should or other elected officials should be free to say anything they want about anyone. Um, you know, I mean, certainly there's some parameters that that even our, our First Amendment would limit. Um, but I'm fearful of more the shut shutting down of speech than us all um, constantly working towards being uh, members of some groupthink party. I think the voters should be deciding uh, who's right and who's wrong. So um, for me, bridging the divide has always been being exactly who I am and being completely honest and open about that, but still trying to maintain the personal friendships on the side. And I'll give you a great example. And, and, and some of us in politics even joke about this because Jumani is so um, earnest about his, his approach to, to this. You know, I, I would vote against something, you know, whatever, whatever it is, I'm voting against widgets or something. And Jumani would be like, oh, I got to talk to you. I know you voted against that. Now, people say that all the time. Jumani is one of the few people that will call you up, uh, you know, that night or the next morning and say, I really want to talk to you about those widgets. Uh, it's really important for me. I, maybe you're not seeing it from my, the, the angle of this particular community facet or, or that. And, and I appreciate that. And I, I think that's really good. Um, but that's the, that comes at the at the. Uh, that only comes downstream from actually maintaining personal friendships with people where you could have those dialogues. So actually, I just want to point out something. You pointed out how to bridge divides, but you were saying not canceling difference, which I think is a difference. I think it's really important for us to all be different and to be able to be who we are and let, you know, being uh, to have a disagreement, not necessarily be disagreeable or being able to have that phone call that you talked about with Jermani afterwards, I think is vitally important to bridging divide. And I think a lot of folks don't realize that that is possible. So my last question for you to get you out of here, because I know uh, you're a busy man with a lot of things to do and a lot of places to go. What are your dreams and hopes for New York City? 
to have a divided New York where there's four boroughs and one city of Staten Island that stands uh, independent uh, as a shining uh, island of milk and honey uh, in the beautiful Atlantic Ocean. Um, if that dream doesn't happen, I hope that borough presidents and community boards get more power. Uh, I think we need to, to devolve city government. Uh, in New York City, we are bigger than, you know, uh, Sweden, probably, or Norway um, in terms of population. Actually, we're bigger than Switzerland. I know that. We're bigger than Switzerland in terms of population and budget. Uh, and yet we really have a strong mayor system where the one person, the mayor, controls almost everything that happens in the city. So I think a more devolved government that includes borough presidents uh, uh, and, you know, more of a degree to council members and more of a degree to community boards is pretty welcome. Like we, we can't say we can't do it, right? You take Switzerland, they have like 20 cantons. Each of those provinces has, you know, a, a legislature and a, and a governor. Like we, we can do this too. We don't have to be this, um, this giant unicameral one-eyed beast, essentially. So here's to not having a one-eyed beast, because I mean, who likes a beast, right? <laughs> and also to, to, here's to us being able to have civil conversations with one another all for the good of New York City. And I will argue with you on this. I think all five bros, we need to stay together. Ah, oh, no. <laughs> Joe, thank you. You are a gentleman and a scholar and uh, look forward to a chance to have beer with you sometime. Thank you so much. I look forward to it as well. If you're all in for NYC, go to citizensnyc.org to find out how you can take action in your NYC neighborhood and get grants to support your mission. Thanks for listening.